Our message today is called Cult Leader. I don't know if anything is obscuring your vision of my uh, shirt, but it's a label that I'm proud to wear. And uh, if you get a chance to see the back of it, there are reasons that we wear these kind of labels. In the early years of my acquaintance with the truth of the Spirit-filled gospel, I had the extraordinary opportunity to be pastored by a missionary fresh off the field from Germany. At that time, I only had six months as a spirit-filled Christian, and I was given the privilege of sharing my testimony and a word that went along with it outside the campus of LSU. Can you imagine what an intimidating thing that was to such a new Christian? To make matters worse, representatives were present from a few of the area's oldest and largest non-spirit-filled churches. As simple as my message was, Basically, Romans 8 and my testimony, people were saved, lots of them. And people were filled with the Holy Ghost, lots of them. You can imagine how crushing it was to hear that the visiting leaders later made the proclamation that we were a cult. It seems that honesty and sharing, I shared about my conversion, the way that God had spoken to me audibly, and the sight of so many people getting baptized in the Holy Ghost was just too much for those older leaders that God's spirit had not moved on in years. If you've ever questioned the satanic power of jealousy, a brief study of David's life will renew your respect for the subject. I want to read you something from Psalm 55. This is verse 12. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were raising himself against me, I could hide from him. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship as we walked with the throng at the house of God. Having been only 18 years old, I sheepishly approached my pastor. I wanted to ask what I should have done differently. I was surprised that Christians would call us a cult, especially after seeing such an amazing worship service and the dramatic effects that it had on the youth around LSU. That great man of God, he looked me right in the eyes. He said, you're going to have to learn that when jealous people accuse you of being a cult leader, it is because they're convicted that you love Jesus more than they do. He paused for a minute and said, you're going to have to learn to redefine that phrase as a compliment. They're acknowledging something. They're acknowledging that you're more serious about Jesus than they are. I was called a cult leader in the very first spirit-filled sermon I ever spoke at only 18 years old. That was 24 years ago. Last week, I was called a cult leader again by a jealous older Christian. This is getting to be normative for us. Now, I'm going to omit the names of the guilty here because I want to protect the innocent. But I thought that this might be the perfect opportunity publicly to declare in an unequivocal way, I do love Jesus more than most people. I'm unashamed about that. This accusation has been leveled consistently throughout time by those that are refusing to repent in the face of mounting evidence that they are wrong. In Acts 24.5, we'll pick up our text today. Please turn there with me. Somebody holler out there when you get there. Acts 24, 5. We have found this man to be a troublemaker. <laughs> Stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect. Ringleader of the Nazarene sect. That sounds suspiciously like cult leader, doesn't it? Troublemaker. Stirring up riots. How many of you have read from the book of Acts? Is it Paul that was stirring up the riots? Or jealous religious leaders that were stirring up the riots? We have found this man, they said. We the compromised. We the unrepentant have found this man. Yeah, but what does God say about the man that you're accusing of leading a sect? 
Paul's response is utterly priceless. I endeavor to emulate it here today without attack or defense regarding my accusers. Say that with me. Without attack, without attack. or defense. Look at Acts 24, 14, and you'll see how Paul responded to this and why we are proud to be cult leaders. I admit that I worship the God of our fathers as a follower of the way, which they call a sect or a cult. I believe everything that agrees with the law and that is written in the prophets. Can I tell you, beloved? I believe everything that is written in this Bible. I believe it in its most literal sense. I believe it in its most practical sense. I endeavor every day to put it into practice in the very strictest of terms. I believe what is written. The religious have always called men who believe what is written cult leaders. The whole Christian world claims to believe the Bible. But those radical believers who put it into practice... They often earn these kinds of terms that are meant to be pejoratives. I want to show you how Google defines cult. I'm going to put that on the screen for everybody. A system of religious veneration and devotion directed towards a particular figure or object. That would be the cult of and then a particular object. Another way that it's defined is a small group of people having religious beliefs or practices regarded as strange or sinister. Strange or sinister. Sinister like we see drug addicts freed. Sinister like we see lives reformed. Sinister like we see demons come out of people and then they love the Lord with all of their heart. Sinister like we have the courage to face Islam head on and watch people converted in the name of Jesus. Sinister like that? Yeah, exactly like that. The third definition. A misplaced or excessive admiration for a particular person or thing. Wow, let's run back through these for a minute. Strange like Paul before the Athenians in Acts 17 and verse 20 where they called his ideas strange because he was preaching to them something that was strange to them since they were out of practice. Strange like 1 Peter 4, 4 where people in the common segment of society said it's strange that you don't... Plunge into the same flood of dissipation. It's strange that you focus on holiness the way that you do. Or maybe it's just what Isaiah said would happen in 1 Corinthians 14 requires. Maybe it's just that we're men of strange tongues. Every once in a while, there is somebody who is so strangled by offense and sin that they make the claim that it's not really about all of that. It's not about your doctrine. It's not about your beliefs. Now, church, get ready for this because this is pretty audacious. It's about your personality. It's your personality that makes you a cult leader. You have a personality cult. This is in line with Google's third definition, which was a misplaced or excessive admiration for a person. Somebody say, wow. Don't love your shepherd too much. Don't go getting all excessive on us. Excessive admiration, whatever that is, apparently is a sign of a cult. Well, I'm proud to be one of many leaders of a group that is excessively admiring of Jesus Christ. Apparently, if I say something to a crowd like, what's his name? And they say, Jesus. And I say, what's his name? And they say, Jesus. And we have a kind of jubilant excitement. Oh, man, that is definitely a cult. (laughs) This reminds me very much of 1 Samuel, chapter 18 and verse 7. Turn there, get there. Tell me you're there when you were there. You may think it's strange that I would stand up in a shirt called cult leader, preach a message called cult leader. You have no idea how far I intend to go with this. 
whether you're listening online or you're listening here presently, the truth is the truth and we might as well do it and in a way that honors Jesus. In 1 Samuel 18, 7, as they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him. Come on now. Gold. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought. But me only with thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Those of you that were here for Pastor Wade's amazing message. He taught on this very phrase in Hebrew. Especially for those of you that speak Hebrew. Hayah Shaul Avon. It's something akin to an English translation that would say Saul became evil-eyed towards David. In other words, there was a transformation in Saul because of his jealousy that changed the way that his eyes perceived the world. This means that David would not be able to do anything right in Saul's eyes because Saul's eyes had changed. They talked many times after this day. But David would later say in Psalm 55 about another situation, something that is instructive about this one. In Psalm 55, you can just listen as I read it to you. Or you can mark it if you like. It's Psalm 55 verse 20. My companion attacks his friends. He violates his covenant. His speech is smooth as butter, yet war is in his heart. His words are more soothing than oil, yet they are drawn swords. When people say things like, I love that brother, but. What the phrase but is hiding is the sword that you're about to stick in their heart. Now I said no attack and no defense. And I mean that. I'm proud to suffer reproach for the gospel. The psalmist also said in Psalm 119 and verse 161, Rulers persecute me without cause, but my heart trembles at your word. The thing that ought to make us tremble more than anything else is the truth of God's word. Not what people are saying about us. Nothing is more important than the word. Do you remember when Shimei insulted David and called down curses on him? We're living in a time where one of David's sons had tried to take the throne from David. And a Benjamite comes out and says some yucky things to David. Look at David's response. This comes from 2 Samuel 16, 11. I'm going to skip right through it, but I want you to hear it. David then said to Abishai and his officials, My son, who is of my own flesh, is trying to take my life. How much more then, this Benjamite? Leave him alone. Let him curse. For the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will see my distress and repay me with good for the cursing I am receiving today. Oh man, with all of my heart, I want to have the spiritual maturity of David. Can I tell you it's much easier to quote him than it is to do what he did. Say it with me, church. No attack attack. and no no defense. I never promised in that statement, though, not to brag on you. I'd like to talk to you about some analytics that we just did. I have seven things that I would like to share with you that are bragging about you. They're not an attack and they're not in a defense. They're bragging about you. When we looked at the messages this year in 2018, there are 11 messages, including this one. Ten people preached the first 10 messages other than me. This is my first message of 2018. It's clearly a personality cult. I'm bragging on you though. What this means is you love the word so much that the only superstar in this room is Jesus Christ. Last year, in 2017... As we examined who spoke and how many times they spoke from this pulpit, I spoke here 32% of the time. That means 68% of the time it was another person behind this pulpit. 
clearly a personality cult. You love the diversity of the leaders in this church so much that the only one on display here is Jesus Christ. For the last seven years, analyzing my Google calendar, you will find that I have been outside of the country on average 130 days every year for seven years in a row. That doesn't count domestic travel. When you add those together, that is two years and six months out of seven years that I'm not even in the country. You're so dedicated to the church and its purposes that it literally doesn't matter what leaders are here. You came to honor Jesus Christ. While we're talking about leaders, this is my favorite part in analyzing our church. Those leaders that are supposed to be under my cultic powers of persuasion. Doing pretty good for a mere high school graduate, huh? Bajer Regina has lived in many countries. He's too modest to admit it to most of you, but he gets around just fine in 12 languages. And he's singularly dedicated to Jesus Christ. That's the kind of elders you have in this church. Have you ever met a more principled or finer example of Christ than Bajer Regina? Charles Brown. He's been my close friend for 24 years and been an integral part of Spirit-Filled Ministries for 44 years. Could you ask for a more qualified elder than that? Pastor Wade. Pastor Wade has been my close friend for 20 years. He has two master's degrees and has functioned at every level of the educational system from being a valedictorian to being a principal of a high school. And he's worked in some of the largest spirit-filled churches in two states. He has sold all and lost all for the sake of Christ and done it repeatedly throughout his walk. Have you ever known a more competent or dedicated pastor? Pastor Matthew. Pastor Matthew was there in the very beginning. He and I have been the closest of friends for 27 years. We've literally worked together since we were birthed into the kingdom through Christ. He has never backed up, let up, shut up. He has borne fruit in the kingdom in every country that he's visited. Could you ask for a more passionate or powerful pastor than Matthew Piro? These men, these men are the success of life-changing ministries. The One Association is just a larger version of what we do here every day. The love the Lord, these men love the Lord enough to correct and to rebuke and encourage me daily, weekly, monthly, yearly. We're accountable to each other and we're stronger in turn for that accountability. The church is the love of my life. And that doesn't even get into the many other domestic churches and international churches that we're a part of and love. The overarching achievement of this ministry is the quality and diversity of men that have and will work together in accountability for their lifetimes. Oh, can I show you something about the word? Do we have the ability? Good. They say that the number of God's government is 12. Well, there are exactly 12 matches for the word leader or leaders in the Newer Testament. In the Newer Testament, the word leader never appears. It's never singular. Not even one time. Not in a good sense. Not in a bad sense. But the word leaders appears 12 times. Well, we're talking about things like personality cults. This ministry is driven from five leaders that work together As a part of a team. The word of God governs our behavior. When you look at these. The ones with arrows by them. I won't take the time to teach on them. But in Acts 15 when they sent a letter. They did it by two leaders. They wouldn't even send a letter. Without two or more witnesses. When you read Galatians 2.2. Paul is talking about those who seemed to be leaders. You know why Paul said they seemed to be leaders? Because there was no single pastor hierarchy with one benevolent dictator at the top. 
When he got there, there was a team of leaders and it was hard to tell who was in charge because they were all in charge of keeping God's word for the body of Christ. Yes, I am a cult leader. The word apostle, it shows up in the singular a few times in the Bible. That's true. It shows up 20 times. But when you take a closer look at the word apostle, it's almost always in a list of other leaders. Anybody want to take a random guess of how many times the word apostle is plural in the Newer Testament? 61 times. Are you beginning to get a picture here? Leaders were always in teams. Jesus sent them out two by two. They governed in threes. They were always in teams. The word simply does not give us positive examples of self-intoxicated, renegade, lone rangers. We need to make it our goal to show pity for those who falsely accuse us. It may be that their own status... Their inability to work with others or their unrepentant sin has blinded them. But God is able to reach those that he loves. He reached you, didn't he? It's often that God will make clear to them through the balance of their life. They'll see that they've achieved very few of their stated goals. It may be that their children don't do faith. And the ministry is supposed to be judged by how their own children do. Or it might just be that they've never been able to maintain a godly friendship. These are signs that something is wrong. But God's able to turn that around, isn't he? How many of you have been on the right road but headed the wrong way? Yeah, the Lord will help you. This is a chance to pray, not fire back. What is more important that you realize when you're insulted for the sake of Christ is that it is a blessing Whether the people mean to hurt you or mean to help you is beside the point. The fact is that it is a blessing. Jesus Christ himself said that. Look at Matthew 5 in verse 11 and watch what happens with this. Say there when you're there. You find the Beatitudes and we'll get a chance to be those attitudes. How many of you want to be right with God? Wow. I know some of you are guests today. It's okay to speak out loud in church. It's okay to raise your hands in church. It's okay to express yourself in church. How many of you want to be right with God? Raise a hand. How many of you, how many of you really want to be right with God? Raise the other hand. Now you're halfway to being charismatic. You'll be a cult leader too. Matthew 5, 11. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. You mean while you're attempting to follow Jesus, people will do these things? Yeah, you'd be surprised who it is. It's usually those who should love you and support you. It's usually those who should stand with you in the religious community. But something happens and they don't. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In the early days, the amazing men of God that were leading us were called cult leaders. We have been and are now being called cult leaders. And if you're lucky, if your love remains just as fervent in the future as it is today, if you don't fade but you grow in intensity, someday you too might be called a cult leader. Remember what Isaiah said when he was prophesying in the very spirit of Christ. This is Isaiah 50 and verse 6. You can write it down because I'm going to read it to you. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. See, the spirit of Christ doesn't turn away from such insults. It allows them and realizes that you enduring insult proves that you love the Lord more than you love your own life. It gives you a chance to gain glory for God's name. We need to rejoice. We need to be glad. We need to learn to wear these insults as a badge of honor. We just finished the Talmudim series. Man, did you enjoy the Talmudim series? Six men preaching eight messages. 
None of them pastors yet, but very soon. Those righteous young men elucidated the subject in ways that truthfully are beyond the pastorate. Our disciples are going further than us. They understand the word in a way that blows us away. They're talented on a level that is beyond the present pastorate, which was always the goal. I was astounded with their anointing, with their wisdom. Perhaps you'll remember this quote. It comes from Matthew 10, 24. A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like the teacher and the servant like his master. Watch what it goes on to say. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of the household? Oh, no. You may get a shirt just like this one one day. So do not be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. This begs the question, how much do you want to be like Jesus? Are you sure? Because the religious world called him the devil. His own family thought he was crazy at times. His mother and his brothers among them. Of course, King David's mother and brothers did too. People with jealous eyes attributed every good thing that Jesus did to the devil. That didn't mean that Jesus should reform anything. It meant that something was wrong with their eyes. The Bible often says if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, you can have eyes and see nothing pure. But to the pure, all things are pure. Are you sure you want to be like Jesus? Are you sure? He was never afraid of them. He was never afraid of their words. He took it as a sign that he was on the right track. It was actually expected. He was on the right track, and so were we. We can know that because we're being attacked. I want to read to you from Psalm 69 in verse 8. I am a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my own mother's sons. For the zeal of your house consumes me. Listen to the pretty part. And the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. You know, the men who were insulting David said they loved the Lord, and they indeed may have, but they surely didn't understand David or were not loving towards him. The men who said that they loved the Lord in Jesus' day were heaping abuse on him. And they may have loved the Lord, but they certainly misunderstood Jesus. Would you like to pray radically? No, I mean radically. Remember when I asked you if you wanted to be like Jesus? Pray with me for just a minute. Father, we thank you for the awesome example in your son. Lord, it is our desire to be so wrapped up in the teachings of Messiah the works of Messiah, the reputation of Messiah, that we would be treated just like Jesus, our Messiah. Lord, your body throughout the world is undergoing unimaginable difficulties for your glory and for your name. We ask you this day for the insults of our master to fall upon us. May the insults meant for Jesus fall on the people who share his name. May we be counted worthy to suffer for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. May we be counted worthy to suffer for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, if you're unable to put up with a little slander from those who should love you, you'll never stand up to Islam. I want to teach you to wear insults as a badge of honor. Can I tell you, I'm going to wear this shirt until it wears out. Proudly, excited. You have a second I can show you a picture of William Booth? (laughs) Yeah. Clearly a cult leader. They all have beards like that, right? What's the deal with your beard? What's the deal with your naked face? My face is modest. It wants to be covered. Don't hate me because I'm beautiful. (laughs) William Booth, 
and the Salvation Army. It was not always called the Salvation Army. It was called the Christian Mission. In 1865, a group of missionaries, impressed by William Booth's preaching in the seedy streets of East London, asked him to lead a series of meetings in a large tent at a place called Mile End. William was so struck by the amount of work that needed to be done among the local poor that the Booths agreed to stay there and work. Despite never intending to found their own Christian church, they set up the East London Christian Mission. That's what it was called. East London Christian Mission. They soon renamed the East London Christian Mission to just the Christian Mission because they realized that they were going to outgrow East London. William preached in unusual venues, ranging from stables to pubs that were in their off hours. While Catherine raised funds among the city's well-to-do. Crucially, the Booths had espoused social work as a means to an end. William reasoning that no one could concentrate on the message of the Lord while suffering from an empty stomach. Soup kitchens and food for the millions shops were created to help provide poor with sustenance. This is the interesting part. You ready? Yet all the while, the booths were stirring up antagonism. Brewers feel that they would lose their clientele to the church. Middle-class Victorian England was perturbed by the loud evangelizing that disturbed its complacency. And rowdies just liked an easy target. Missions meetings were disrupted by jeering, stone-throwing, fireworks, and worse. William and his people merely turned the other cheek. In fact, persecution became tantamount to a badge of honor. In one of the meetings, that guy with that beard. Now, you have to picture a beard. Somebody walked up to him while he was preaching. Made bad sounds. We would say hawked up. And spit a giant loogie right in his face. How would you feel if that was done? If it were done to you, that's one thing. How would you feel if that was done to your father? How would you feel if that was done to somebody that you really love? They rushed to his side and they tried to wipe it off. And William said, don't you dare wipe off my badge of honor. And he finished the meeting with it hanging from his face. In 1878, they changed their name. No longer the Christian Mission Society. They decided to be known as the Salvation Army to better reflect the treatment that they were receiving and anticipated to continue receiving as they advanced the gospel. See, they were being treated as if they were a foreign army among enemies. They were reviled and they were persecuted for Christ's name's sake. And so they decided just to call themselves the Salvation Army. Man, I wish William Booth had lived a little longer. Perhaps they would be an army today instead of some kind of strange thrift shop. Isn't that often the case? There is a single leader who raises up, who does amazing things, but somewhere in later in his life or in the lives of his followers after him, it fades off into something else. That is precisely why you don't have a personality cult. Because all you would have to do is kill that one leader and then nothing would work right. You better have a diversity of leaders. It's biblical, it is accountable, and it turns out that it is better. Amen? Amen. In Numbers 12, beginning in verse 1, we're going to start working from the law to the prophets to the writings. These are the three areas of the Hebrew Bible, and we'll do it in the Older and the Newer Testament as we work towards a closing. I want to show you... How to wear insults as a badge of honor. I want to talk to you about the great glory that is revealed in God's people when we behave correctly. In Numbers 12 and in verse 1. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses. Wow. Talk against. It's an interesting thing. We'll revisit that phrase later in our message. Because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord hold this, heard this. While we're talking about this subject, notice something. They say that they're angry 
the Lord's also spoken through them. But what are they really angry about? His Cushite wife. It's very often that people practice diversion like that. They tell you that the issue is one thing, but they're not telling you about the real issue in their heart. Something like a jealous eye. See, they're not claiming that Moses is oft doctrinally. They're actually picking on him about something far more personal, huh? But the real issue seems to be that they're jealous that God is speaking to Moses, doesn't it? Remember, these are believers. Miriam and Aaron are not bad people. They're just behaving badly. They're not heretics. They're not on the wrong side of the fence. They're on the wrong side of the argument. How easy it is to find somebody who treats you badly and treat them like they're not in the body of believers. These are believers and family members. They should have supported Moses, but they didn't. I love Moses' response to all of this. You can read about God's response if you want. He takes it pretty seriously. But I'd rather just read Moses' response since you might be able to identify with Moses more than God. Unless you have kind of a complex, right? How many of you find it easier to identify with a man than God? Numbers 12 and verse 13. So Moses cried out to the Lord, Oh God, please heal her. Is that not remarkable? How do you feel when somebody speaks badly about your wife? How do you feel when somebody speaks badly about your character? And Moses' response is, oh God, heal her? You know, the first time I ever read Numbers 12, 3, it says, now Moses was a very humble man, the most humble man on the planet. It struck me as humorous, you know, because Moses wrote the book. So if Moses is writing the book and he writes that, it's like being given an award for being the most humble man on the planet. And as you go to receive the award, because you received it, it's taken away. You know, uh, can you really be the most humble man on the planet and be recognized for it? But here, you see, recognition is not what he's after at all. What's he after? He wants all God's people to be healed and to do well. You might have expected him to say, oh God, judge her. But Moses cried out, oh God, heal her. Man, that's DCD strong right there. When you consider the words of Jesus in Luke 627, it becomes very clear how much it is like Jesus. In Luke 627, Jesus said, But I tell you who hear me. But I tell you who hear me. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Do what? Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Man, how can we see Moses as anything other than like Jesus Christ? The persecution that he receives because of the way that he handled it is actually a badge of honor. It's like he put on a little piece of Jesus that you can see. That's beautiful, don't you think? How many of you would like to be clothed in Christ? How many of you would like to put on his character? How many of you would like to be like Jesus? Then you're going to be insulted, but you have to respond with blessings. You have to. As we move to the prophets, let's consider Jeremiah. So you'll turn from left to right in your Bibles and find Jeremiah. We'll be in the 18th chapter. Say there when you were there. It's been funny through the years. People haven't liked that I wear boots. They don't like that I wear jeans. They don't like it when I wear shorts or flip-flops. You realize what it is. They don't like me. That's okay. I don't like me either. I love what Jesus Christ is making me into. I love that. I can't believe what he's already done. I would have thought there was no hope for me. The truth is, before I got born again, I put a shotgun in my mouth. But when I got born again, Since that moment, I haven't done anything except read his word and pursue his aims all over the world. It's radically exceeded my greatest ambition in life. Called a cult leader then and a cult leader today. Well, amen. I'm going to wear that badge. Jeremiah 18, verse 18. They said, come, 
Let's make plans against Jeremiah. For the teaching of the law by the priest will not be lost. What's the implication there? Jeremiah is doing something that's going to destroy the teaching of the priest. Nor will the counsel of the wise. Yep, Jeremiah is ruining the counsel of the wise. Nor the word of the prophets. Hello, Jeremiah is the prophet. So come, let's attack him with our tongues and pay no attention to anything he says. Remember the people that are attacking Jeremiah? They're his countrymen who claim to only be attacking him for the sake of right teaching, for the sake of the counsel of the wise, for even the word of the prophets. Jeremiah's response begins in verse 19. Listen to me, O Lord. Hear what my accusers are saying. Should good be repaid with evil? Yet they have dug a pit for me. Remember that I stood before you and I spoke in their behalf to turn your wrath away from them. You know, I stopped reading in that verse for a reason. The same reason that when Jesus was called on to read Isaiah 61 in his hometown, he stopped in the middle of a verse. If you keep reading from here, you find out just how angry Jeremiah is. I wanted to bring up that this far into his ministry, at this point in the book of Jeremiah, he's already interceded on behalf of the accusers. He loved them, but they were treating him poorly. You know, sometimes you can spend decades trying to fix a problem. But when somebody has diseased eyes, only God can fix that problem. And Jeremiah reached a place where he was no longer praying for their forgiveness. He's a prophet, and his words were proved right. Maybe they just didn't like his personality. Even as Jeremiah begins to be enraged, he is still only praying about the situation. He doesn't take to slandering them. He doesn't take to defending himself. He's just talking to his father. Man, if you can't do what is best... Maybe you could at least do what is second best here. Remember Luke 6.28 says, Pray for those who mistreat you. It's a badge of honor to be mistreated. Earlier I mentioned Psalm 55. We're going to go back to the Ketuvim and we're going to revisit Psalm 55 to see what happened in David's life as we scoot into the New Testament. In Psalm 55, picking up in verse 12. Go ahead and get there. You're going to want to read this one. You doing all right, DJ? You look handsome today. See, we're a family. I don't mind telling you that if I could learn to dress like Damien does, more people would like me. I I don't mind telling you that if I could fit in Curtis' wardrobe, man, I'd cause a scene everywhere I went. The thing is, is I only ever wanted to be known for one thing, the Word of God. In Psalm 55, verse 12, If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were raising himself against me, I could hide from him. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship as we walked with the throng at the house of God. Do you get the sense that David once knew this person intimately? Do you get the sense that they worship together, that that person is in fact... A believer. You do get that sense, don't you? Verse 15 is frightening. Let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the grave, for evil finds lodging among them. Man, David said to have a heart after God. And do you hear how quickly he has turned from brokenhearted to angry here? David's response is both shocking and it's understandable. He is hurt because his former companion has reached the place of judgment. Many times in the prophets and the writings, this kind of slander is met with swift judgment. God simply doesn't put up with it. Nobody ever receives a medal or a badge, though, for doing what is predictable or easy. See, I'm not saying that David's response is something to imitate. I'm saying the opposite. I'm saying he did what was predictable. And we're supposed to be doing what is supernatural. Proverbs 19.11 says, A man's wisdom gives him patience. 
It is to his glory to overlook an offense. A man's wisdom gives him... It is to his glory to overlook an offense. If you want a medal, if you want a badge of honor, you're going to have to do more than what is predictable. Of course, when your cheek is slapped, you want to slap them back. Of course, when you think you've forgiven seven times or 70 times or for one year or 10 years or 18 years, you want to respond. But Jesus Christ did not attack and he did not offend. Defend. Rather, he wore his insults as a badge of honor. Saints, it's to our glory when we can wear insults as a badge of honor. It's glory to be persecuted in the cause of Christ. Judgment may truly be coming. But if you want to receive a badge or a medal, we're going to have to forgive. As we reflect on that, remember these words. Because they come from Jesus on the cross. This is Luke twenty-three thirty-three. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him, along with criminals. By the way, the they, Jesus was handed over by the most religious people on the planet, and they had the Tanakh virtually memorized. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Man, that's a giant badge of honor. And Stephen, when he was killed by the same body of people, he did the same thing. I want you to understand that people slander you sometimes and they think they're doing a service to God. They can't be that close to him at that moment, though, can they? Whether Moses, Jeremiah, David, or Jesus, they were all slandered and persecuted by those who should have loved them and supported them. Jealousy and offense warped the hearts and the minds of their accusers. But Jesus shows us the most excellent of ways. We live in a time period where you want a sticker just for showing up. If you're going to get a badge of honor, it's going to have to be because you endure terrible treatment and do it honorably. May the insults of my master fall on me. It's a badge of honor. When you are insulted and you behave like Christ, it is a badge of honor. You're going to have to make up your mind to have no attack, no defense. Just smile and wear the shirt. It's a badge of honor. In the Newer Testament book of prophecy... Prophecy is books that warn our soul. This is the book of Revelation. There is a passage that we need to consider so that we don't fall into the trap or the scandalon that Pastor Wade preached about so aptly this Wednesday. This will come from Revelation chapter 12. So if you haven't noticed what we're doing, from the law, the prophets, and the writings in the Older Testament, and now from the New Testament Gospels, And moving to the New Testament book of prophecy, Revelation, we're studying the same subject. We're five of six sections done. Soon we will move to the New Testament writings. In Revelation 12 and verse 10, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ For the accuser of our brothers, the accuser of who? Who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. In that phrase, the accuser is one word and who accuses our brothers is another word. I want to show you the word for accuses our brothers. Categorio, it's where we get the English word category. Kata in Hebrew Literally means against, and agorio, not Hebrew, Greek. Kata in Greek means against, and agorio means to speak. What this literally says is that he is speaking against the brothers. Man, can you imagine if you were caught doing Satan's work for him? See, when the body of Christ speaks against the body of Christ, that's not wise. Endeavor to let your life be defined by what you're for, not what you're against. 
It's true that in your pursuit of what you are for, there are times that you take positions against other things, but that really shouldn't be your defining feature. That's Satan's defining feature. In pointing out truth, other people will see that there is also error. And from time to time to protect your sheep, you may need to point out where there is error, but that ought not be our defining feature. If your ministry has always been against other ministries, you may have more common ground with Satan than you should. This is cause for repentance, and it's cause for self-examination in us. We want to be defined by what we're for, not what we're against. Satan spends all of his time speaking against. We want to spend all of our time speaking for. That's how you get a badge of honor. We're at that place, the last part of our message. Whether I do well today or don't do well today, it will be the best message of the year for me. Or the worst message of the year for me. Or the longest message of the year for me. Or the shortest message of the year for me because this has been the only message this year in this church for me. We're clearly a personality cult. Let's go to 1 Peter 2 and verse 21. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you. Leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. What did Jesus do for you? He left you an example that you should follow in his steps. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you. Leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. David is said to be a man after God's heart. But he got angry enough to say burn them all. Burn them right down to the grave. Jeremiah is a man who spoke for the Lord and he got angry enough to say, never forgive them. But if you want to wear a badge of honor, you're going to have to put on Christ. And he left us an example of what we must do. You return blessing for cursing. The verse goes on in verse 22 to say, He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth when they hurled their insults at him. That's differently than just speaking an insult. Think of the imagery there. They're throwing the fastball at him. It's ironic that somebody would say that I'm a cult leader. It might be that Satan is aware that the deepest desire of my heart is to be in the dead center of the truth. And so he's just throwing a fastball at me. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not, he did not, how about that? When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. The reason it's a badge of honor to wear an insult is that it shows that God will work it out. If you don't defend yourself, it leaves room for God to defend you. Wearing the insult and forgiving the person? Man, that's a bigger badge of honor. Sometimes David couldn't do it. Sometimes Jeremiah couldn't do it. But we're not somebody who is trying to imitate David or Jeremiah. We want to imitate Christ. I pray that you're a highly decorated soldier today. That you are well insulted. And that you respond well. Because we will wear these for eternity. William Booth wore that loogie for an hour but he's going to wear the glory of God for a lifetime in the heavens. May the insults of my master fall on me. I love the Jewish sages. They understood this principle. Hillel once said, my exaltation is my humiliation, and my humiliation is my exaltation. That's written on the first page in my Bible for a reason. In the Talmud, Shabbat 88 B, 
in verse 2. It says, And the sages taught about those who were insulted and do not insult, who hear their shame and do not respond, who act out of love and are joyful in suffering. The verse says, And they that love him are as the sun going forth in its might. See, to endure persecution, to endure insult, and to not return in kind is as radiant as the sun rising in its place. In 1 Peter 4, verse 13, he goes on to say, But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time. For it is time. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome or what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel? Who's he talking to? He's talking to the family of God. And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful Creator and continue to do good. Can I tell you, it's all about continuing. We're not allowed to ride on a 30 or 40 year old experience. It's all about continuing. Maybe you did great in 1990 with something. But friends, we're in 2018. Judgment begins with the house of God. He will take care of ungodly behavior. Let your master's insults fall on you. It's a badge of honor. The greatest badge of honor you could ever wear, though, is in verse 14. And it says, the spirit and glory of God will rest on you. Can you imagine what kind of glory that is? To know that God is proud of you. I am a cult leader. I'm in a long line of cult leaders. We trace our origins back to Acts 24. Where Paul openly admitted. Yeah I am what they call a sect. Here's what's being said of both Peter and Paul. By many of their contemporaries. You ready for this? This comes from Schaff's history of the church as we move towards a close. The preaching of Paul and Peter in Rome was an epoch in the history of the church. It gave an impulse to the growth of Christianity. Their martyrdom was even more effective in the end. It cemented the bond and the union between the Jewish and the Gentile converts, and it consecrated the soil of the heathen metropolis. Jerusalem crucified the Lord. Rome beheaded and crucified his chief apostles and plunged the whole Roman church into a baptism of blood. Under the wanton charge of incendiarism, Backed by the equal groundless charge that they were an enemy of mankind and that they practiced unnatural vices. There began a carnival of blood such as the heathen Rome never saw before or since. It was the answer of the powers of hell to the mighty preaching of two chief apostles, which he had shaken heathenism to its center. A vast multitude of Christians was put to death in the most shocking manner. Some were crucified, probably in mockery of the punishment of Christ. Some sewed up in skins of wild beasts and exposed to the veracity veracity of mad dogs in the arena. The satanic tragedy reached its climax at night in the imperial gardens on the slope where the Vatican now sits. Christian men and women covered with pitch or oil and resin were nailed to posts of pine. 
They lighted and burned as torches for the amusement of the mob, while Nero, in fantastical dress, figured in a horse race and displayed his art as a charioteer. Burning alive was the ordinary punishment of these incendiaries. But only the cruel ingenuity of this imperial monster under the inspiration of the devil could invent such a horrible system of illumination. In case you missed it, hell's response to the preaching of Peter and Paul was to nail their followers to pine post and light them on fire to illuminate the streets. Their responses are recorded. They counted it a joy to suffer for the name. They stood up to the best that hell could throw at them, no matter what source it came from, and they proudly wore their badge of honor. This is our last scripture for the day. Peyton, would you make your way up here? 2 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 10. You will want to turn here. If you find that a black highlighter has been used on this page and it's not in your Bible, get a new Bible. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, everyone, everyone, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil men and imposters go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of. Because you know those from whom you learned it. Every tree is known by its fruit. This ministry is blessing ministries on five continents. We've given away about a million dollars in the last decade. It doesn't center around any one person. We're known by our fruit. But nobody's going to take my badge of honor from me. Let the insults come. Let them flow in like rivers. Let somebody light us on fire or chop off our heads on TV. I am a cult leader. And I am proud to suffer for Jesus Christ. Paul could tell Timothy, you know from whom you've learned this. So I tell you and anyone else listening, my life's been on display for 24 years. Every message in the last 18 years has been recorded and posted. It's clear where I stand. If you want to be like Christ, if you want to wear a badge of honor, it can only come through persecution and insult. Many have begun, and they began well. But how many men do you know that finish well? Man, I've known almost none. If we could not bear up under the slander of mistaken Christians, how will we stand up to such powers as Imperial Rome or Islam? As my friends and fellow cult leaders come and join me here, I want to invite you to the radical obedience of the teachings of Jesus Christ, where we wear insults as a badge of honor. Our goal is to cause the lukewarm backsliding, sleepy church to be awakened to either the jealousy that we're hearing or imitation. Either one is okay. At least we'll know where they stand. Let them call us a cult in disgust or the church of Jesus Christ in praise. But our badge of honor is that we intend to leave nobody on the middle ground. We are a cult. We're the culture of Jesus Christ. And it is our badge of honor. The three pastors are going to spend some time here with you. We want to pray for you. We've invited Abimbola to come and give a closing. So you prepare your hearts for what the word says that you must do. And we're inviting you to radical obedience.
Joy, could you put John 15, 18 through 21 on the screen, please? What a word. What a, sto- a soul-staring word. In John 15, it says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. This is Jesus speaking. If you belong to the world, it will love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I have spoken to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey your teach yours also. What does that mean for us, church? If you seriously, anyone that seriously studied the word of God knows that from Genesis to Revelation, the body of Christ has always been persecuted. Men and women of God have always been persecuted. What does that leave you today? Have you been persecuted for the gospel, for Jesus' name? Or have you never spoken up on his behalf? Have you shied away from persecution? Have you shied away from speaking for his name? Have you so muddied the waters now that the world can include you as their own? So as we stand to our feet, when I start praying, don't wait. Don't look around. You run to the altar. You run to these pastors. and You get right what needs to get right. This is a life-saving word.